this last September, Lori and I celebrated our 25th. And so, yeah, that's a big deal. So I think I'd been here like three weeks at that point, so it wasn't the right time to like get away for a big splash, so we did a little splash. Um, we went up to Door County. And while we were up there, we heard this tragic news that our good friends, Dave and Carrie, had lost their 19-year-old daughter, Amanda, in this tragic drunk driving accident the very night that we got up to Door County. And so from a mood of celebrating our 25th, we quickly found ourselves walking into Dave and Carrie's house, truly a house of mourning, seeing just the pain and agony written over our dear friend's face, Dave and Carrie, as they lost their second oldest of eight kids. The, uh, the heart sobs were, were like just daggers that pierced at our hearts as parents, and we just hurt with them, and it was such a painful place to be. We weren't able to go back that week for the memorial service, but our friends told us it was very unique and not really surprising when you think of Dave and Carrie. Carrie would lead worship at our little church up in Ellison Bay, and I don't know, there's something about Carrie Brandt when she plays her guitar up front. It's like there's an angel in church. That's just the glow she'd have on her face, and So I was told that the service, the memorial service for Amanda, began with 30 minutes of singing praise. And none other than Carrie Brandt was up there with her friends leading that time of worship. And just seeing her countenance in her home on the morning that she found the news that her daughter Amanda died, and putting that together with what I'd seen regularly going to church... It's like, how do, you, how do you do that? How in the midst of that kind of heart brokenness can you praise God? I had the same kind of question when I went to Africa a couple, couple years ago. We were in Nairobi, beautiful city, modern city, ministering to pastors who'd come from all over. And then we had an opportunity to go visit different churches, well, I wanted to go to Stanless's church. I'd met Stanless, and I knew his church was meeting in the slum right there outside of Nairobi. I wanted to go see this church. We drove through downtown and started to get a little further away, and then all of a sudden you're not on the paved road. You're on these dirt roads. There's nothing there in terms of infrastructure. The houses were just these little shanties, a few a few apartment buildings, but mainly just these little shacks where everybody was living, thousands of people. The streets, since there's no cars, they're just full of people. And there we are bombing through it in our Land Rover going to church. It's a little storefront church, maybe twice the size of my office, lined with all kinds of benches, hard benches. And church in the slum was two and a half hours they weren't in a hurry to leave. I mean, why would you be in a hurry to leave when you live in the slums? You get a little touch of heaven with God's people. And they came in, all smiles. I, I just driven through where they lived. You, you got a, a clear picture right away. Their life was hard. They had nothing. 
But boy, as you met him walking in, you didn't have any indication of that at all. In the midst of their poverty, in the midst of their suffering, they're able to praise God. How does that happen? How do we meet a guy like Job who loses all of his children and grandchildren in Job chapter 1? And how do we find him praising God through his heartbrokenness? How do Scott and Janet Willis, who lose five children in that tragic highway accident, praise God? How would our own director of worship say, hey, it was selfish of me to want to be here on the weekend and sit right there and lead worship? Because in the midst of my pain, it was great to praise God. How do you get there? I I mean, let's face it. We can know all the things that we've studied in this series, that God's in complete control over the storm that seems completely out of control. He's the God over the storm. And we can acknowledge that, yep, I've experienced his presence in the storm. He is that ever-present help in trouble. And we might be able to say, and I'm knowing more of his purposes in my life through this difficulty. I am being drawn closer to Christ, and I'm being made more like his son. And we might be able to say, and I'm tapped into his fourfold flow of grace, his spirit, his word, his people, and prayer. But we could also say, along with that, man, it still hurts. And, and that's the question. When it still hurts, when we're in the storm and the rain still comes down, how is it that we could come here this morning And praise God. Is it a charade? Is it just a crutch for weak people? Or is it real? Well, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 3 through 7. Page 816, if you're using the Bible that we've got right there in the uh, chair in front of you. You know, if you came here and you don't have a Bible... Take that Bible home with you today. We'd love you to have that. So get the word open. It's up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, this is written by a missionary. A missionary who writes about his hard things. He's not talking about things he doesn't know about. He tells us in chapter 11 of this same letter that he went through Five beatings where they beat him 39 times with a whip. Remember what that beating looked like if you saw the passion? Five times for the Apostle Paul. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned and left for dead. They pummeled him with stones. He was unconscious. They thought he was dead, so they left him. He said, I was shipwrecked three times. One of those times I spent a night and a whole day treading water. I was in constant danger, he says. Danger when I was traveling. Danger in the city. People were after me. He's not talking about things he doesn't know. And here's where he goes in the midst of his storms. He goes to praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation or deliverance. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. So we go to the Apostle Paul, this guy who's lived through the storms and starts this letter at the point of praise. And we say, how do you get there? How do you go from pain to praise in the midst of the storm? And he says this. He says, it's in the storms of life that we are given a unique opportunity to receive, to know of God's comfort, of his love. And it's through those same storms that God positions us uniquely now to be able to share that comfort with others. And because of what I've experienced in the storms, God's comfort, I can praise him. That's what he's saying. And so we can receive his comfort that leads to praise when we understand who this God is. And here's how he's revealed himself to us in verse 3 in three ways. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the significance there? He's the father of a son who suffered like no one has ever suffered. He understands suffering. He saw his son hang on the cross for you and for me. Not only that, He's described as the father of all compassion or the father of all mercies. That's why the psalmist would cry out in Psalm 57, verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass. God's compassion It's his love that moves towards us actively. His mercy is his goodness that meets us in our misery. He is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of all compassion, and he is the God of all comfort. All comfort for no matter what you're going through right now. You can't ever say, I'm too far away to get his comfort. This thing is too miserable for his comfort to ever console me. No, he's the God of all comfort. You think about all the places people go when their life's hurting to find comfort. And you realize quickly that that bottle, those pills, that food, spending that money, whatever it is, it doesn't satisfy. Paul says he's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. When we think about that, it's important to remember that then that means that we don't fully understand his comfort until we've fully been immersed in a painful storm that it's actually the experience of the storm that brings us to a new understanding. It's like we heard about it, we read about it, 
But now I know it. I've experienced it. And in experiencing his comfort, it doesn't mean that I don't have pain anymore. I mean, it's like this. When did we experience in a unique way our parents' comfort? Was it not for most of us when we were sick and they came to us with compassion and comfort in ways that we knew, but we now are knowing it in in a new depth? And as they came to us, like this dad who shared recently in men's fraternity, that his practice is when the kids are sick, he sleeps at the foot of the bed. We understood that their presence with us didn't necessarily mean we instantly got better. We're healed. God's comfort in the storm doesn't mean that the pain goes away like that. But his comfort comes to help us to encourage us that we might endure even the storm that we're going through. Endure it, believing that he's a good God who loves us and who's with us in the storm. John 14, 18 in the Living Bible has a wonderful paraphrase. Jesus says, No, I will not abandon you or leave you as orphans in the storm. I will come to you. That's our God. He will not abandon us. And Paul is saying the reason I can praise God is here in the midst of the storm, confronted and surrounded with pain. I can praise him because I have received his comfort. I know of his presence. He has not abandoned me and I can praise him. Well, then when you get to the end of verse 4, it turns so that we realize that in the storms, not only can we receive this comfort, but we're uniquely positioned now to dispense it, to share it, to give it to others. You see it in verse 4? The second half. So he starts, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that, for this reason, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So unless we suffer, we don't fully understand his comfort. And until we suffered and experienced his comfort, we are not uniquely positioned to meet someone in their storm as we are when we've gone through it. How does it work? Well, we share what we've been given. Maybe this little video clip can explain it. Trying to help you picture it. It's like this glass that's empty. And in the storms, we find ourselves struggling with pain and there's great need for comfort. And God starts pouring his comfort into us. And his comfort is an eternal supply. He always gives more grace. He never runs out. And so his comfort poured into us actually fills us and brings us to the point where there's an overflow of his comfort from the point of our storm, in our storm, not just after it, so that from the point that we find ourselves receiving God's comfort in the storm, all of a sudden that measure of his immeasurable comfort starts flowing out of us and flowing to other people in their storm. 
well, what's the point? What's the big deal about that? It's a big deal. It reminds us the storm's not just about us. And it's just like the storm to do that. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It is about our God and who he is and what he brings and how he draws near to us in the storm. And it's about other people in their storm. Boy, there's something about a big storm that can make us pretty myopic where we only see our storm because at times the storms are so overwhelming. That's all we can do is feel the pain of our storm. We can't even think and feel about anything else, anyone else. So you find yourself in that kind of pain. You find yourself like my friend Andrew saying, God, this is so meaningless. What good is this to you? What good is this to me? Paul reminds us that the reason we can praise God is in finding his comfort. We're uniquely positioned now to share his comfort. And what happens when we do that? Well, verses 5 and 6 tell us that it brings great comfort to others. It brings deliverance to others. And it strengthens them to endure patiently the storm that they're going through. Well, that's what happened to me through my friends Dawid and Zelna. Dawid and Zelna came from South Africa Dawid was this giant of a guy, 6'5", 250, a rugby player. Man, right before they got married, Dawid was experiencing some stiffness in his neck, and the doctors discovered that he had a cancerous tumor lodged in his spinal cord. So throughout the whole time I knew them, throughout their whole marriage, they were dealing with one surgery after another, dealing with these cancerous tumors that started to spread across his body. And it was a nightmare kind of storm that continued to get worse. One of the surgeries was a 16-hour surgery. 16-hour surgery. Listen to this. They had to take out his vertebrae in his neck. And they put these two titanium rods to support him. And a bunch of these other metal plates. And after the surgery... The next five months, he couldn't keep food down. He's coughing up blood. Lost 50 pounds in five months. They couldn't figure it out. Finally, they discovered that one of those plates had punctured through his esophagus. And that's what was going on. I'd go to see Dawid and Zelna. And um, God miraculously gave him a little baby boy named David. And every time I went, I went to encourage them. And every time I left, I went encouraged. God's comfort that was meeting them was being poured out into my life. And their patient endurance in the storm was strengthening me in my faith. It wasn't sugar-coated. It was real. And yet there was real faith and real praise in the midst of this gut-wrenching storm. They went back to South Africa to say a last goodbye, David, to his family. We never saw David again. Now we died shortly after his visit, and Zelna's now raising little David on her own, still praising God. 
That's the beauty of this passage. The comfort we receive becomes the comfort we can share. Well, that was driven home for Lori and I in a huge way in 1992. We just come off of an incredible sabbatical. We lived in my dad's little village in Switzerland, Baleg, right on the Swiss-French border, 900 people, the foothills of the Alps, all the cheese and chocolate and bread that you wanted. I mean, life was good. We had three little girls, seven, five, and two. And we were praying about, should we have more kids? That was a big prayer for our family because Lori was basically allergic to pregnancy. She got so sick. And with each child, it was getting increasingly worse. And so we prayed. And as we were preparing to go back to the States, God answered prayer. Lori's pregnant. And she's sick. So we're coming out of fairy tale. I mean, cowbells and church bells and all that business too. A nightmare. Three little kids. Within a week, Lori's in the hospital for two weeks. They've got a pick line to feed her and hydrate her intravenously, which she would be on for the next three months. No family around. I'm back in my job. And then I got the bright idea. Let's get a puppy. Like I needed another hole in my head. Well, our dog, I mean, there was some logic here, actually. Our, our dog had died on sabbatical, a, a lab, and we loved Amber. And so I thought, well, maybe this is, you know, bring a little love into the family. And um, so we've got the puppy. Lori literally is just hooked up to her, her hyperalimentation. She's on the couch. She can't swallow a swallow of water. She's throwing up 30, 40 times a day. It's a nightmare. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're eating some good old Giordano's deep dish pizza, and Lori goes from the couch, wow, that smells good. And I'm thinking, smells good. Nothing has smelled good for the last four months. I'm thinking, hallelujah, the storm has passed. She's healed. She's back. Well, I didn't know that Lori was nervous that she'd lost the baby. A couple days later, we had a regularly scheduled doctor's appointment. And thankfully, I decided to go with her. So we went. The doctor's starting to listen for the heartbeat. He can't find it. Well, I'm still clueless. He's looking some more. And then all of a sudden, Lori's leg starts to tremor. And she starts to cry. And I realized what was happening. He says, I can't find the heartbeat. He said, let's come back this afternoon. We'll do an ultrasound. So we came back. The ultrasound confirmed there was no heartbeat. So the next day, we went over to the same hospital where Claire was born, the same floor where Claire was born, just a few doors down, and Lori was induced. And she gave birth to a beautiful little baby boy whom we named Gabriel. Gabriel, he fit in the palm of my hand. His feet um, were as long as my thumbnail. And in all appearances, he was perfect. We held that little baby and we cried and we cried, handing that child back to the nurse and in effect back to God and went home to an empty back seat 
when, when I picked up Lori from the back door of the hospital, as almost a, uh, a twist of just cruelty, the woman next to her is holding twins. And we go home empty. And when we got home, it wasn't long that we'd been home that our friends Neil and Kathleen came to the door. Remember Kathleen last week? The one who lost a baby? Well, that had happened two months before we lost Gabriel. When Neil walked into the, to the room, immediately in my mind, in my heart, I said this, I know he knows. I know he knows what I'm going through. And I know Kathleen knows what Lori's going through. They were still in the storm. They had received God's comfort, and now they were with us at our side to comfort us. I don't know if the storm just blew over in your life. I don't know if you're in it right now, but what I know is this, that God wants to comfort you, and he wants to use you to be a source of comfort to others. And here's what else I know. There are a lot of storms I've been through where I go, I don't think I'm doing really good. If I gave myself a grade, maybe I'm getting a D. I feel like, God, I'm not honoring you in this. And I remember what happened with Peter. Well, I, I relate with Peter so much, but remember that story when Peter had, had denied knowing his Savior, Jesus Christ, that he meets Jesus then at the beach Jesus is cooking breakfast, and he says, Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Then, Peter, feed my, feed my sheep. Give to others. That's what I want you to do right now. Don't get so down on yourself. Go give to others. You've received my mercy. You've received my grace. You're receiving my comfort. Go give that. Feed my sheep. Having received God's comfort, we are uniquely positioned to share it. By God's grace, let's do that. Let's pray. So our Heavenly Father, we would pray that you alone would receive the honor and glory as we go through storms. I pray that there wouldn't be anybody here that is looking for other sources to bring comfort, but in the inadequacy of those things that don't satisfy that they would be drawn to you, the God of all comfort. And that those of us who know you in that way have experienced your comfort, whether it's been years ago or right now, that we would be glad to share your comfort with those around us. We pray this in Christ's name for his glory. Amen.